0: This is episode number 59 with our guest, Jay Hall. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks, I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, guys. Thanks for joining us. Welcome right into the studio. You're tuned right into the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. Our guest today is the chief strategist of Sync Digital Solutions, which is a top-performing advertising and branding agency specializing in websites, SEO, and digital marketing. Really cool. He's also produced over, get this, 500 events. We'll hear all about that. And is a published author and creator of what looks to be a million. I see six zeros next to the one. A million plus pieces of online content annually. We'll also get to the bottom of all of that. Let's meet this beast of a man who can certainly (laughs) get things done right there. It's Mr. Jay Hall. What's going on, Jay? Not too much. Good. Uh, let's see if we can change a little bit of that. So certainly <laughs> on paper, you have, a, you have a nice list of credentials. You've gotten things done. We're going to dissect all of these little pieces, but one thing in particular stuck out from me, from the person who is a lifelong entrepreneur, you of course and this really the connection doesn't surprise me per se but i want to hear about it you ran for political office
1: i did uh, shall we begin there (laughs) start with the good stuff okay yeah sure we can begin there what do you want to know
0: you tell me what happened what did you run for
1: uh i ran for mla uh which is uh part of so in the states this would be like your uh state representative essentially Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, <laughs> after a long career behind the scenes in politics, I allowed the, uh, prime minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau and a couple friends convinced me to run uh, in front of politics. So I'd worked a couple mayoral campaigns. I worked on uh, a federal campaign for Stephen Harper. I worked on the Obama campaign in 2008, uh, and then, uh, worked on, uh, the federal Justin Trudeau campaign when he ran for prime minister, provincial campaign came up. To Americans. It's like having a state campaign. And uh, they, uh, they asked me to run. So I did. I announced and 24 hours later, I was embroiled in a massive international scandal, uh, which led me to resign. Um, I couldn't even get into my condo because the reporters were everywhere, even though we have a non-paparazzi clause in our, in our law. And it was, uh, it was interesting because it, uh, it forced me to reinvent myself. Uh,
0: great. Uh, a couple of questions. Um, what year was this? 2016. Okay, and what was the nature of your work um, behind the scenes with the prime minister and all these others?
1: Uh, Largely social media based. Um, When I, uh, but in the early days before social media, it was I was always the young guy that the mayor, the mayoral candidate at the time, Sam Cates, would have at every door. So somebody answered the door under 25, I would talk. You know, so that was that was a cool entry into politics, and then. Uh, and then it was always social media. Uh, I did event coordination uh, on a volunteer basis for the Obama campaign in uh, Las Vegas, and then I worked in Grant Park uh, on election night and D.C. for the inauguration. Uh, and then for the Justin Trudeau campaign, it was all social media.
0: Okay, and um, before we get into uh, the scandal and that point of interest, do you find that being an entrepreneur and politics is, is a natural fit?
1: You know, I'd like to say it is, but after doing it, no, it's not. Uh, Especially when you're an entrepreneur involved in entertainment and writing and, you know, writing fictional books. And uh, I had at that time in 2012, which is where the scandal originated from, I had a late night talk show here in Canada. Um, So there was a lot going on, a lot of personalities to balance on my Twitter feed. And that's what led to my problems.
0: That's what led to your what? What'd you say?
1: That's what led to the problems. For 99
0: problems, as they say?
1: 118 problems.
0: Yeah, 118. <laughs> so, um, so what happened? You ran, and what happened 24 hours later?
1: So uh, some tweets came up. So essentially the competition took some tweets out of context. They took away the uh, – so basically I would post, let's say, a quote from one of my books or from something I wrote or from the talk show, and I would post a link to the episode or to the book. They took the link out. And then just made it look like it was something I was just saying on my own. And uh, so it ended up turning into this thing where I was called Manitoba's misogynist, uh, which is a great title. Uh, And that's the name of my province, by the way, for people who don't know. And uh, it was really, I had written a book uh, about a guy having a really hard time in the dating world. And uh, excerpts of the book were taken, put into my Twitter feed, and then a link to the book. And that's how things end up getting unraveling. But the media, a lot of times, likes to run the more sensational side of a story and leave the boring details out. And so that's what ended up happening.
0: Wow, that's, actually, that's actually amazing. So you, you arrived in that you, you had a title. They titled you that misogynist. Uh,
1: <laughs> they did, yeah. And uh, CNN ran it, MSNBC ran it, Fox ran it. Everybody outside of Canada ran it as what's the big problem? And everybody in Canada ran it like, oh my God, what's happening? And then Trump won uh, that year. Right. So <laughs> just, so they uh, thought
0: um, they, they got you by taking things out of context and then uh, positioning you as a misogynist who must be beaten down.
1: Yeah. And you know, the interesting thing, I think the, the lesson I took away from this and the lesson most people should take away is uh, context matters and they never look at the, the media because they're so quick we we've done this to ourselves 24 hour news cycles uh and uh constant clickbait we force them to not have to do proper re- there's no investigative journalism in your basic headline story right it's just let's look at what we think we know and publish it so if you looked at my full body of work i i have a, a pretty active blog and uh at least 50 percent of my content is geared towards love for family, love for, gir- love for my girlfriends, whoever they may be at the time, uh, love for, you know, just community. Uh, I did a lot of, I did a lot of uh, blogs about, uh, you know, the way dating is going and how unscrupulous it is. Uh, so not looking at the full body work, just looking at these little excerpts that, the, con- that the, the rival party had fed to the media, it ended up creating a problem. But then I posted a blog that had context. It was the most shared uh, piece of content locally in our city that year. Um, and that was able to at least clear it up for a lot of people. Some people, you know, you can't. There's nothing you can do. But for most people, it cleared it up.
0: Were you, when this happened? Were you at least in the beginning? Were you absolutely devastated? What kind of emotional impact did this have?
1: Well, you know, I come from a pretty um, a pretty accepting family. So you, if you'd seen our our uh, our the parties my parents would throw, you know, every every race, every, just everybody, everybody came. We were very uh, multicultural. home. Uh, so having an ist, you know, misogynist uh, attached to my name was, it was devastating actually. it, it was a huge blow. It ruined my business. Uh, I ended up, uh, I should, I shouldn't have been so stubborn. I should have declared bankruptcy, but I refused to, I, I pushed through it. Um, but it just, it just really taught me a lesson that, uh, that, no matter how you run your life over, you know, many many years, one moment in time can unravel it all. So you have to be prepared for those moments. That taught me a lot. It carried over into business, into entrepreneurial uh, entrepreneurship, uh, and it just taught me to make sure that I I think things through a little more than than what I may have in the past.
0: Was your reputation significantly hard, uh, tarnished and for long-term or, or was it just like a little skin? You
1: know, I noticed it, it was tarnished for sure. Uh, I uh, went from having a successful uh, agency uh, with uh, over 20 staff to nothing in 48 hours. Um, and uh, But the interesting thing about people is as much as, they love a good scandal. They also love when money is flowing. So the second that I was able to get myself back up and running, everybody was like, ah, so if I could do something for everybody again. Everything was fine. Oh, that thing that you went through, no big deal, you know?
0: It's ridiculous. And today it's something it looks like that you can look back on, smile, laugh a little bit, and just just look forward.
1: You have to, you know? I mean, it's, if you take life too seriously, you end up... Uh, at, on some opioid or something that part of the crisis. I just I look at life as everything's a learning experience every day. I start off my checklist. First thing on my checklist every day is how to make the day extraordinary. Last thing on the checklist is what did you learn today?
0: Hmm. It's absolutely amazing. It seems like creativity for you plays a big part in everything you do. It seems very important to you. Is that true?
1: It's, it's the beating heart of my business
0: for sure. Yeah. Tell and my me, life. Yeah. Tell me why and what that means.
1: Uh, I think creativity is the true root to who we are as people. I think if, uh, if you look at somebody's creative ideas, you can generally get a, you can kind of get inside their mind a lot better than you can with any other aspect of their lives. Uh, it allows you to understand people a little bit better. Um, and I find that if you can get into a job uh, that has creativity, it doesn't even matter really how much money you're making because you are enjoying what you're doing. Creativity is key, I think, to everything, at least for me. Some people might not agree, but for me, it is.
0: Hmm. And you have found yourself playing the role of entrepreneur from a very early age. I said in my intro, um, you create a million pieces of content a year. How is that yeah. possible? What is, how, how, how can one do that?
1: Well, not me personally, <laughs> my, my, myself and my staff. But uh, yeah, we create a million pieces of, of content for our clients our projects, uh, you know, blog content, million pieces of content, essentially. So it's just hard work. That's all, all it comes down to.
0: And that's that's sort of the nature of your business, right? It's this uh, advertising agency?
1: Yeah, a lar- large piece of it is content, uh, uh, exploration, content research and development, and then moving into actually the writing the content to engage people. Yeah.
0: Mm. And I also read that for for your current business, you wrote... As a group, we are out of the box. That's when you get. That's what you get when you merge teachers, writers, designers, entrepreneurs, musicians, artists, and accountants. Why that mix? Why is that important?
1: Uh, I think it's largely because of my background. So I started out as uh, when I was a a young kid as a DJ. I moved into so quickly to move in between the businesses I went from. So uh, DJ and entertainment. garbage truck (laughs) operator uh, picking up people's garbage on the side of on the side of roads in small communities uh, to you know my couple of uh, day jobs which would have been subway sandwich artist then I moved into uh, um, into, back into nightlife and promotions uh, and then politics and then doing speaking engagements about uh, political affiliation or business uh, at high schools and things of that nature and then moving into uh, marketing full-time it exposed me to a lot of different types of people Um, and I learned the value of you know not not necessarily a guitar player can be an excellent guitar player but in learning guitar he learns other skills as well that a teacher wouldn't learn because they're they go through more of a traditional education system so when you get all these people together in a room you end up with everybody having ideas instead of what happens in a lot of uh, corporations that I've been that I've been in meetings for where everybody just goes mm, i don't know sure what that guy said you know so our meetings are insanity <laughs> they're pure insanity it's everybody's talking and trying to get their ideas in and it's just it's just a it, it's organized insanity for sure but um there everybody comes to the table with something nobody feels like their ideas are are too small or dumb or any I'll, I'll look at anything really as a way to get to get things done
0: hmm. Wow, that's very cool. Um, I want to go back and connect these dots and see how you got this, this entrepreneurial mindset. Um, I know it, it came about from an early age, but set that picture for us. What was life like growing up for you as a very young Jay Hall?
1: Okay, well, growing up, uh, my parents were hard workers. Uh, my dad worked uh, t- taking school pictures during the school year. Uh, and then, uh, um, one thing left out in the intro, when we talked was snow removal, and then, uh, in the summer he would do, um, he would do lawn maintenance and framing pictures. Uh, my parents and then my mom worked for the government, uh, in low income housing, uh, finding people, uh, homes that didn't have a lot of money. Uh, they both worked well over 40 hours a week, every single week, probably 60 to 80. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, we led a very middle of the road life, very blue collar um you know it's not like I wanted for much but that's because I didn't know to want for things that are out of reach uh but we definitely didn't have access to you know we couldn't go on a lot of vacations and things like that growing up right and I just looked at that and I said boy they're working so hard and they just continually stay in the same place and that just wasn't okay with me um once I started to Uh, once I got my first computer and I jumped on MIRC chat and I learned about the world outside of, uh, that middle of the world lifestyle, that was it for me. I, I had to, I had to make more, uh, more of a life for myself.
0: Why do you think that is that they couldn't get themselves out of it working so hard?
1: I think that there was a traditional, uh, look at what a good job was. Uh, you know, it was go to work, punch in, punch out, get that pension, you know, invest in your RRSPs. I can't remember where RSPs are and where you guys are from, but the equivalent of a retirement plan, essentially, uh, and that was, you know, have some kids, buy a house, have a mortgage for 150 years. Uh, that was all considered to be right, you know. But then, as I think the information age is, would end up doing it for a lot of people. You know, you you just get access to so much more. My, my mom, until I showed her a video on the internet, had never even heard of Belize and uh, or in Bali and places like this, right? And then I show her videos, she's like, wow, these, this looks like heaven on earth. So like, Yeah, and I'm going. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's just yeah. kind of, I think that having access to so much information allowed me to say, hey, there's so much more here. I got, I, I, I just can't, I cannot live this life and not step foot in every country. It's just not, it's not something I'm going to do. I'm I'm going to step foot in every country.
0: And you're on your way to doing that?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've I've taken a lot of time to travel.
0: What's the current number we're up to?
1: That's actually a good question. I haven't counted yet because I'm not close to the end, but uh, it's high. I mean, I've been to, I've done every country in North America and South America. Uh, and then I've been to the UK. Do we want to do the whole list? I've <laughs> been to the UK, been to the, uh, the Ukraine. I've been to, uh, all sort of sunny locations, uh, Australia. So I've been all over the place. Yeah. And I this is
0: what- to, this was for a mix of business and pleasure just for your sake and, and promise to yourself that I got to explore.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I do try to, um, like I'm considering taking a six month cruise at some point. Uh, that touches on 48 ports. Mm. I do try to work business in so that I'm not falling behind on anything. Uh, but sometimes it's just for pleasure. But a lot of times I'll, I'll, mix, them, I'll mix the two. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to go to Hawaii and go wingsuiting over a volcano. And then once you land, you jump on your laptop, do a couple hours work, then you go hit the beach and surf. I mean, that's life, right? That, to me, that's what I want my life to be like. Even if I'm not making an incredible amount of money in the future, if that's what I can do, then that, I'm fine with that.
0: Mm. So now going back to your teenage years, um, you, you told yourself this watching your parents, uh, not rise above this middle ground. And you told yourself that I'm not going to live that life. What happened when you were 14? Uh, you when i 12. Oh, I thought or you met somebody. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh
1: yeah. So I started DJing when I was 12, but at, at 14, I, uh, I uh, met somebody who ran a garbage business and he was uh entrepreneur It was uh, so I lived in a small town just outside of Winnipeg, Canada, and he serviced a bunch of the little towns around with a garbage, just went around the regular truck, throwing garbage in the back. Uh, you know, not even really an official business, but it, it wasn't meant to be an official business. It was meant to just get him through college. Uh, he was actually an engineer, uh, but it became a, it became a full-time business. And he needed someone to help out with that business. So uh, I was a kid, but I jumped in and I mean, I did, I, I learned it was kind of interesting because he, he would stop the truck, get out, throw a bag in, have to go. Then when he had me, he's like, Oh, well, do you mind being on the back of the truck? And I said, yeah,
0: I love it. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Exactly. So I went on the back of the truck and then I figured out, I was like, well, a lot of, I know the streets that don't really have a lot of heavy bags. A lot of these, you know, old, older ladies, they have the Safeway bags and things. So they have a, so I started strapping my legs so that I could bend over to the side, grab the bags and throw them up without actually to stop the truck and get off the truck. Uh, so, and then I, I feel like that was my first real business efficiency procedure I put in place in life. So, but a couple of those bags were really heavy, uh, unsuspectingly, and I ended up falling off the truck. But, you know, it's, it's a risky take when you're in a high-risk business, I guess.
0: <laughs> wow. Was this a yeah. city job? Like, who was paying him? to do- uh,
1: The re- residents. Yeah, it was an unregulated industry. So it was oh. just people paying him 12 bucks a month to come pick up their garbage. And, you know, eventually he got over a 1,000 homes. And all of a sudden, you have a real business on your hands, right? So then mm-hmm. recycling programs and, you know, everything else comes into play. So, yeah, it was very cool. And it was really, you know, being so young, not even having my driver's license yet at, at the very beginning of it. I was able to really tap into the beginnings of an entrepreneurial lifestyle with uh, Dale Kellington. It was the name of the guy that ran the business. And uh, everything was, it, it was amazing.
0: How did you connect education at this point? Were you still deep in high school and looking towards a traditional education? Or did you think, I don't need this?
1: I was a terrible student. I was the class clown. I was the uh, the guy that I, I was The reason why is because I was bored. I was bored mm-hmm. out of my mind the way that they were teaching. I'm, everybody's heard this story. Many people echo my sentiments on this. It wasn't until I got into post-secondary, when I got into business school, mm-hmm. uh, that I started to excel. I was top 1% of my class. I won a scholarship. Uh, I won an office award, which allowed me to have an office for a year uh, for free. Um, so, but it was because of the way the teacher, uh, his name was Jeff. Uh, he's since passed away, but the way he taught was so interesting because he would, you know, when you, they give out assignments at school, uh, whether it be university or high school or whatever, they give out everybody the same assignment. Mm. He didn't do that. He had uh, wow. an entrance, exam, uh, entrance uh, interview with you to figure out what it is you wanted in a business. And then each, each lesson, he catered uh, lessons to each and every one of us along, but same theme, same subject. But mine lent more to creativity, whereas you know somebody that was good with numbers and wanted to go into lend more to a, to accounting side of things, and it ended up creating this really cool atmosphere where he would then get us all together at the end as a group project to work together and then submit the lesson as a group as the mm-hmm. whole class as opposed to individual, so that we they, all sides and I and that's when I kind of adopted the policy that you need to you need to get out of the box thinkers. You need to get people that wouldn't normally be in the room together, in the room together, because that's when you get the best ideas.
0: Oh, I see that connection. That's absolutely amazing. So after that, that college experience, were you out into the real world creating your own business?
1: yes absolutely yeah. i I already had had um a what we will call a business at that time uh I didn't know a lot once I got out of school i realized oh man there's, there's i didn't know anything uh so I got into uh into that's when I got in big into event coordination. I'd done it before, but now it was serious now it wasn't something I was doing just for a little cash and you know I was an awkward kid growing up i was uh i was I was actually bullied a lot. And then when I got into the clubs and I started doing event coordination, all of a sudden girls were paying attention to me. It was fantastic. So I, after school though, I would, okay, it's more than, it's more than just girls and suspending cash. It's an actual business. I could, I could do this. So that's when I started to take off there.
0: What was this bullying thing you glossed over there?
1: Oh um, yeah. As a kid, I was, you know, beaten up a lot, pants. Die. I got thrown into icy water over a bridge one time, um, which led to a really bad case of hypothermia. Uh, I was beat up a lot as a kid. Very, very bullied. In, in small towns, you know, I, I actually left the small town, went to the city, and that's where the bullying stopped. In small towns, there's really not a lot to do for kids, especially back then. You know, there was no there – was, there was none of this, right? Wow. There was just, There was just drinking at parties, at bush parties, and – uh, picking on the smaller kid. And I was always a smaller kid until about grade 11 when I hit my growth spurt. But, uh, yeah, I just, uh, many times bloody noses, uh, getting pantsed in the hallway, things like that, you know, pretty brutal, pretty brutal childhood actually when it came to school.
0: Hmm. Did you have anybody that you could, um, tell and rely on for any sort of comfort? And I asked because, you know, I, I, for one, went through similar things, I don't think that extreme, I mean, leading to the hypothermia and whatnot, but I always felt that I didn't have the outlet to then go to somebody for, for comfort and you know, stability on that front.
1: You know it's interesting, because I think this podcast is turning into a theme of how the world is getting better. Uh, w- growing up, it was ingrained in me I don't think consciously by my father or my grandfather or anything, but I was around, you know, my dad was a builder and he was a manly man. Right. And my grandfather was almost seven feet tall, size 15 boots, you know, an ass kicker, you know, he'd gone to jail for putting his boss through a wall when he tried to, uh, tried to beat up a black guy because that, that was, you know, something that was acceptable back then, but not to my grandfather. My other grandfather was, you know, as well, a builder, very handy, very, they were all manly men. So the thought of coming to any of them and saying, Oh yeah, I'm getting beaten up. You know, I just, it, 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 I felt like I couldn't do it. So not their fault by any means. I'm sure if I had come to them, they would have helped me out, but it just, I didn't feel like I could because of that stigma. Now I find, although sometimes it goes a little too far. Now I find that guys don't have to have that, that anymore. It's not a, You don't have to be the manly man that, you know, the hunter gatherer, you can be something more, you can be a more emotionally evolved now, which is great. Uh, You know, I, I once dated a woman who had a a 12 year old son and I could see how different his childhood was and how accepting people are now of, you know, boys not having to live up to that stigma. So that's great. I'm very happy about that. But no, I didn't, I didn't have the ability to do that simply because of the, the stigma of what a man was.
0: Yeah, I totally relate to some of that. Um, I have two small children, myself, a five-year-old daughter, a three-year-old son, and I am consciously and deliberately raising them almost in the in the way that I didn't get. Like I see some of the disconnect, so I deliberately give them certain attention and 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 certain kinds of love and affection that I didn't get because I know how it felt not to receive it. So I compensate yeah. on that front. And yeah, that's
1: good. Great. Yeah. That's wicked. Like that, that's exactly what every parent should be doing. So kudos yeah. to you.
0: Yeah. So now you are, you're in this event coordination role. Um, seems like an absolute success.
1: Yeah, it, well, I mean, my first one was a failure. Uh, my first event, I lost $10,000 on it, um, because I, that, that was my trust lesson. Trusted the wrong person with my call list for everybody who bought tickets, who then called and told everybody it was canceled right before the event.
0: Why? Um, so, so then he could pocket the money or something, or what, uh, what was the benefit? No,
1: because he ended up being a competitor that I didn't realize was a competitor. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah. So that uh, that was messy. You know, you're, uh, that was actually my first event. Was I was just I was almost seventeen at the time, um, and then uh, like I said, it was just kind of something I did. And then after school, I got into it more seriously doing concerts. You know, we did a, we did a lot of big artist concerts here uh, in Winnipeg, um, a lot of, launching a lot of really popular multi-year club nights that happened. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, it, it was very successful. It, it, it started out pretty rough, but it, it, it got to the point where um, it was so successful that my marketing uh, ended up being, for one of my event companies, ended up being 100% run on MSN Messenger. Uh, it was 40,000 teenagers. I was at the time 19, 20, 21, wow. something like that. Yeah, and we just sat on MSN all day and talked to them and we packed parties every single month. It was, it was like clockwork. We Zero dollar advertising spend. Uh, it was fantastic. And I did that and then it evolved to MySpace, something called Nexopia, which was like Canadian Facebook at the time. Uh, and, then it, and then Facebook came along. And I remember I held these uh, what were called Facebook parties. So I love the platform so much that I wanted other people to be on it. Nobody in my city was on it. So I had a photographer coming around taking pictures of everybody. And they said, oh, how do I get the pictures? I said, just go on Facebook. What's Facebook? I said, go on Facebook. I'm telling you, sign up and you're going to love it. It's very addictive. Uh, and uh, so we ended up doing that. And then this is how I got into marketing as a whole. Other companies started going, well, what is he doing over there? I don't understand how I just no. started a business page and I've only got – or I've started a profile at the time. I've only got like three friends and this guy's maxed out at 5,000 already. What's happening? You know, so they started contacting me. How'd you do this? So, said, well, I know, but you know, it's that old line. And when you're good at something, you don't do it for free. So I, uh, so I said, you know, if you pay me, I can, I can do it for you too. And that's how I evolved out of event coordination into full-time marketing.
0: And isn't that the, the, the trick really to get people to sort of engage with you is to do it right. You have to, yeah. to do it first, show that you can get the results.
1: Proof of concept. Yep. Yeah. Core business strategy. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, I looked at, you know, it was interesting because when Facebook came out, um, uh, in Canada, at least, uh, I had picked it up cause I had a VPN. So I picked it up in the States before I came to Canada. And I, and I started playing around with it. My few American friendly and fam, uh, friends and family were on it. And I just found it to be so interesting because I looked at it and I said, okay, I think that this platform is going to eliminate the need for posters and flyers. And there was nothing worse than living through a minus 50 degree winter in Winnipeg and having to go around and put posters up on boards that you knew in your soul nobody was looking at. But you did it anyways because that was part of the industry, and I looked at Facebook as a way to get away from all that, and that's absolutely what it did for us.
0: Hmm. So, what's what is the the nature of your business today? You, it's this is what you're doing today is Sync Digital Solutions. That's your business. With how yep. many how many people work with you?
1: Uh, we have sixteen right now, uh, sixteen people. So we're almost at the levels I was at prior to the election. Uh, we are in a better uh, spot in terms of financially, but our team is much tighter now. So we have 16 people. Um, and, uh, sorry, what was the question again? I I got distracted. My staff tried to walk in the room.
0: That's okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) just the nature of your business today. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So we have two sides of the business. There's the client side model, which is we do website, uh, design development, SEO and, uh, digital marketing, social media, email marketing, things like that. Um, and then the other side of the business is project based which is where we get really creative, uh, which is where I utilize. So I, I use the client, I, I've always used the client side uh, as the stability of the company. And then the projects are what I feel like doing, I'm going to do. So the best example of that right now, the current project we have out there is it's called Diobo, D-I-Y-O-B-O. DIY uh, OBO. It's a online ticketing platform. Uh, for small, medium-sized businesses, definitely not the size of Ticketmaster, but uh, we do well. Uh, it actually started out as an, uh, a friend of mine, wanted, or a guy actually at the time that I didn't know was doing a ticketing website. Uh, he, I did a lot of events, so he contacted me, said, hey, I'm thinking about putting to this ticketing website. So that's awesome. Can you get any insight? So we worked together a little bit. I was the first customer of the site. Fast forward to post-election, I'm looking for something to really uh, sink my teeth into. I buy Diobo from him. So and then the goal was to get it. He had so he built it in 2008. In 2016, at the end of 2016, when I took it over, it hadn't had any maintenance done in that time frame. So the site was the exact same site in 2008 to 2016. Uh, the goal was up until November of last year to get the current functionality up and running, and then now the goal is to take to get version three out there by the summer. And version three is going to be, uh, I've. I've looked at all the sites. I've looked at all the features, the most feature rich for event coordinators ticketing platform on the web.
0: Hmm. I love all that. You might've touched upon this at some story we've already spoken about, but one of <laughs> your, of the, the whole idea of the hidden entrepreneur was when I realized all of my life I was hiding the best parts of myself showing up with a mask on because I was, you know, hiding behind fear, wanted to appeal to everybody else in the way that I thought they wanted and needed, which, you know, makes this null and void. Um, A lot of dark times um, trying to get through. What is one real dark moment that you really found yourself in that you had to get through and how in the world did you get through it?
1: I know exactly the moment. Uh, I was living in one of my mom's buildings at Manitoba Housing, so low-income housing. Uh, And I was trying to, you know, spend properly, but my expenses were higher than my income coming in with my business and I couldn't quite figure out. So I took a day job, took a day job at Chapters. um, And uh, it was in the music department, natural fit. Uh, but that wasn't giving me enough money either. So I was I was constantly in a cash flow problem. Even though I had the job, I had the little cute vest that they give you, and you know I was and I was still trying to be entrepreneurial. But the job was taking so much away from being entrepreneurial. I was finding it hard to even afford food at that point in time. So uh, you know, as what I ended up doing was I ended up meeting the manager of a of a 7-Eleven uh, right down the street from my place because pretty much all I could afford was big bikes and bags of chips. So uh, he said to me one day, he goes, oh, I love, I love this style of music that we carry to Chapters. So I said to him, this is my first barter, uh, first entry in the barter. So at Chapters, we were given uh, massive steep discounts, like 80% off of music. And then we had, I think it was, if I'm remembering correctly, it was six free CDs a week, essentially. So I took that discount in those six free CDs and I offloaded them to him and then he allowed me to come to 7-Eleven and do grocery shopping once a week. Uh, so I was starting to be able to eat. It took away that stress of that particular, I mean, not eat well, of course, it's shopping at 7-Eleven after all, but, uh, you know, I was able to eat uh, and all of a sudden I had oh, an extra 50, 60, 70 bucks a week that I could put in. And I used that 50, 60, 70 extra dollars a week um, to book better class of djs for my events and that's when my events started to take off because wow. now i wasn't just doing it myself and trying to run the event and, and that always ended up screwing up because I had, to, I had to be two three different people in one night um or just inviting my friends who barely knew how to dj now all of a sudden i was getting real djs on my shows and it, people started to take notice of that and that's what ended up really catapulting me in a, in event coordination as well would be that that stage of struggling to eat finding that way of bartering to get that expense out of my life, putting that expense into my business and allowing myself to grow.
0: You seem to be resourceful AF. Is that true?
1: <laughs> it, yeah, it, isn't every entrepreneur, I
0: think. <laughs> so talk to me. Yeah, how important.
1: Well, I, I look at you. You said you, you were hiding. You know, hiding yeah. that that PCU. Uh, the last time I did that in my life was when I had that corporate job where I was sitting on a, on a board uh, with a bunch of guys, you know, mandates, wear a tie, and all Please. these things. I, and I just looked at it and I said, this is just. At some point, you have to admit. I think everybody has a, a something in their life, whether it be um, you know, admitting what your sexuality is, admitting what your talents are, if they're super weird talents or admitting what you're, what, what you are at your core and what I am at my core is a very independent person. So, um, what I did was after I, my friends held this intervention to, to show me how miserable I was, I left that corporate job. I went down to the States. I spent that time, you know, trying to basically just decompress, right? I took a nice little severance. I had some, some breathing room and I just decompressed. And I just thought about, who do I actually want to be when I wake up in the morning? And that's when I said, I cannot be happy in this life without being an entrepreneur. And from that point forward, I only had a severance package that I was bleeding through like crazy because I was living in Vegas. And uh, so now I had to sit down and say, okay, how do I do this? So I had to, you know, my, my condo was nothing but lists all over the walls, similar to what I have in my office now, but uh, it was lists of, How can I, what, what are my resources I have at my disposal? How can I use those to my maximum benefit to create more resources? So I think that that's what every entrepreneur struggles with, right? How do I turn $1 into two, into four, into eight, into 16, and 32, and so on. And how do I take this one little idea I have, this tiny little idea, this baby of mine and turn it into a full blown, you know, business that actually can provide for me and mine. Right. So, resourcefulness, I say creativity is important to me at my core as a person and allows me to be able to function and allows me to be happy. Resourcefulness is key to being successful, I think.
0: And are those the ways we turn $1 into two, two into four and take this little idea and make it flourish?
1: Absolutely. You know, having the ability to be the person you want to be makes you happy. When you're happy, you can do a lot more with your life. So you're, you open up that tap to the resources to be able to create more and more resources. I think, that that's, I think those two things are very fundamental. Now, again, I, creativity is it for me. Some people don't have any interest in being creative and some, of their business, some businesses don't require it. Whatever that is that makes you happy is the first thing you have to find because the struggles are easier that way. And you, know, you can get through them because you're like, well, yes, I'm struggling. This month, I'm making a decision between this expense and this expense. But I can also get up when I want to get up. I can do what I want to do. You know, you just, there's a lot more. When you have freedom, you're happier. That allows you to get through the hard times better. And it opens up your mind to saying, okay, what do I have to do to get from A to B to C to D, right? So.
0: Yeah, I love that. Looking back on a younger version of yourself, what advice would you give that person?
1: Take life a lot more seriously. I did not. You know, I look back at my at my childhood, and I uh, I just I was pretty oblivious actually, mm-hmm. as a kid. I had I, I didn't quite under. I remember there was a moment my my uh, papa had passed away when I was 12, and we had to move into his house. And my parents came to me and said, or to him and my grandma's house. And uh, my parents came to me and said, "Are you okay with this?" "Yeah, sure." "I mean, what do I know?" "Sure, I'm fine with it. I'm moving to a nice a bigger house." "I mean, what do I care?" And then, I over for a couple of years after we moved in, it really the weight of living in his home crushed me, and it created I I don't know if I was ever a dep- ever a depression, but I definitely was in a in a dark place. It was it was hard to go to the funk of waking up every day to. It was just, there was a smell to it that I associated with him. His art was hanging on the walls. His I was using his computer. You know, the last painting he ever did was a painting of a cartoon character I created as the mascot for my, my elementary school. You know, there was so much of him around me that it it really just made life very, very hard. And what ended up happening was uh, it, I think it caused me to put my, my head in the hole in the ground, so to speak. And I just didn't really, I didn't really understand the gravity of situation. I didn't understand how important this step was to the next step to the next step. And yeah, if I could go back, I actually think about this often because uh, one of the books I want to write is where somebody gets a second chance knowing what they know that day and they get rewound to being 11, 12 years old, which is around the time when I went through all my change with my grandfather. Hmm. So I, uh, I, I think about it often. That is the one thing that I know was, you know, off with me as a kid, essentially.
0: Wow, it's beautiful. Do you believe that everything happens for a reason?
1: No. Well, okay, I should qualify that comment. I don't believe everything happens for a reason, but I believe that when you start to motivate yourself into a particular direction, you're going to recruit into your life elements that will enhance that whatever you're trying to do.
0: For better or worse, right?
1: For better or for worse, yes. So I I think that life has a way of, of showing you you know, for example, of nightclubs, I was in nightclubs and I'd been, there was a period of time where I did six nights a week for years. I was always in the nightclubs, always in the nightclubs. And then I was, you know, I started to get these, these marketing clients, but I was, I didn't want to work with them. I wanted to be in nightclubs still. So I kept turning them away, turning them away. And finally, uh, one of the managers of a nightclub that I was working with sat down with me and he said, I'm leaving. Said, oh, why are you leaving? He said, we can only do this for so long. And this, 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 and this happened, and it really showed me I got to get out of this because this isn't a long-term solution to anything. He told me that, and the next day, I ended up getting approached in that same club. Uh, This is now night two uh, by somebody who was like, he said the words to me. He goes, I want you to work with my company because I believe this is not your long-term solution working with us is your long term. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm following the breadcrumbs here and working with him is what this guy is when I'm getting me out of nightclubs and getting me into full-time marketing. And, you know, I just, I try to watch for, for signs. And I believe the signs come as a, as a result of energy. I know that we're getting a, we're getting pretty hippy dippy here, but I, I think that, you, you you know, there's positive and negative energy and you can go towards either at any time but if you keep moving in that positive direction and you're you're cognizant of that you're going to end up in a much better place if you just if you watch for it if you pay it it's really about being assertive and paying attention being proactive in your life
0: for the record i'm all for hippy dippy okay fair enough <laughs> well we're here yeah exactly and here's hippy dippy um
1: are you I mean, a guy did ayahuasca in a cave in nevada T- trust me i'm hippy dippy when i want to be
0: now I'm gonna rewind my next question. Tell me more.
1: Uh, you know, I, I I'm a huge fan of um, creative thinkers, and uh, Steve Jobs being definitely up there as one of the more creative. Kind of an asshole, but if I can say that. Uh, but you know, he was very he he could take something that nor that regular people just would look at and say, oh yeah, let's just try to throw it on a flyer and see what happens. He built these lavish creative campaigns. I mean, he revolutionized the music industry, the computer industry, so many things. And, wh- and I started re- reading up on him and I started reading up on all these other uh, big CEOs. And the one thing I found in common is that they did hallucinogens. Uh, and that's what, uh, something that they could point to as, as really helping crack that part of their brain that allowed them to be more creative. So I looked at what I thought would be the safer, of the hallucinogens and I thought being administered by a real shaman from Peru in a cave in the Mojave desert with 3000 year old, uh, in, uh, ancient Indian petroglyphs around you was probably the best way to do it instead of doing mushrooms in somebody's basement. So I, uh, I decided to go on that journey and I did it and I am eternally grateful to it, uh, really? to the process. Eight hours of self-discovery in the most profound ways is, uh, it is life changing? Absolutely. I made phone calls to people afterwards, and I said, "You know, I know you did this. I don't appreciate it. If you want to stay in my life, you have to do this, this, and this to fix it." And they would come back to the, you know, on the other end of the phone going, "What? How do you even know about that?" And I'm like, "You know, you know when you talk to someone, and you get this feeling in the back of your mind, you're like, Oh God, they're just not telling me the whole story here. Like, there's something wrong. I'm missing. I'm missing data." Ayahuasca allowed me to get all that data out of my subconscious and plug it right in the front of my mind. It's why there's a lot of divorces after Ayahuasca experiences because they realize, Oh man, he or she has been cheating on me for years and I've been letting them get away with it. Uh, So it really opened up my eyes to, to a lot of things. Most importantly uh, it probably is what led me to realize that I have to go, I have to embrace the positive energies and figure out how to kick off the negative energies and a really, Uh, assertive way. I think that was the, probably the best lesson from it.
0: Where are, where are you going? You know, three steps in the future, 20 years down the road. Do you even see something that you want to accomplish or do? And I never really asked this question, but something about you is like very intriguing to say, because it seems like you're so well versed, right? Well traveled. What are you still looking to do? You know, big time.
1: So I have two big goals. The first one is uh, to change the world by revolutionizing an industry, uh, which is what is on my wall. Actually, I can look at it right now. This is the idea um, that we're sitting on. And it is a uh, amalgamation of all my learning experiences, looking at industries, uh, going to Silicon Valley, working within the walls of those offices, Facebook, Netflix, Google. And uh, so I've I uh, that's number one number two after I get to that point um I want to travel and write and I want to write about uh, you know things that people generally don't and I don't want to write as in write books I want to write blogs about things that people generally don't hear about I think that we've become while we are in this information age where we're so we know we, we have access to everything we are very surface level with it and you know, like I've always said, my dream vacation is going to Iraq, and that sounds insane, but I when I ran my event coordination company that was run on MSN for the for teenagers, there were at that time we had taken on a lot of uh, Iraq refugees in in mm-hmm. Winnipeg. And I met uh, a couple of them, and I started talking to them about you know these kids about what was what was it like in Iraq because this was you know Gulf War time, and this is you know everything was a, was a mess over there. And this one kid came uh, to one of our boat cruises. We did a party on Monday. He came a couple hours early. And said, "Hey, we he brought his dad." And he said, "I want to show you what Iraq looked like before the war." And he started showing me these pictures. I'm looking at them, going, "This could be downtown Winnipeg. This could be the park down the street. Mm. This could be any. This could be any town, USA, so to speak, right?" And it really hit home with me because then he showed me what everything looked like before they fled. Iraq and it was it was an absolute war zone their home was gone that park was was a crater uh you know and I went holy crap this is this is insane and then he started telling me stories about his family the family decided to stay and you know against all odds defend their homes uh the family and friends that uh were fleeing in the caves all these different elements so I feel like in Iraq you probably right now uh have so many different types of personalities that people uh, that you would never experience in, let's say, Canada or the U.S. because we've never had this happen. That um, I really want to go in. I want to take a very deep dive into those types of cultural dichotomies and write about them and just expose, at least the people that that are interacting with me, to a different side of the story. Because I, 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 I know from personal experience, there's more than one side, and that one side that's generally told is generally pretty surface level.
0: Wow, those are fantastic. Uh next steps for you. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Wow. What is forward to the future Wow. Shouldn't we all be? That's amazing yes, that you absolutely. can. Um what do you believe happens when it's all over? When our time here on Earth comes to an end?
1: Oh, that is it. God, I spend a lot of time thinking about that. I wish I could say I had a clear answer. Uh I don't. I I I see I'm you know hmm. I did not expect you to throw that question at me. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I think that somewhere in between the stories of religion and science is a kind of like where, where it settles in. I think while I'm not a religious person by any means, um, I respect religion in that what it can do for some people uh, you know, when my mom went through a tough time, she started going to church and the community of church really helped her. Um, not necessarily the stories that come out of the Bible. I've read the Bible. I've read the Quran, I've read Old and New Testament. I've read them right through. Uh, so it, and I did that because I want to make sure that I was making an educated decision on how I live my life. Um, and then I became a big believer in science and, and probably grade 11, grade 12. It's an energy transference of some sort. What that is, I don't know whether that's uh whether you ascend to something greater, whether this life is a is a lesson and how you live it determines where you go next. I'm not sure, but the one thing I can settle on is the fact that I believe that energy doesn't die and that we end up in another form in some way, whether that be a star, whether whatever that is, I don't think we I don't think we consciously end when our bodies die. Hmm.
0: That well, on sense. that note, I will leave you with this <laughs> one final question. Jay oh Hall, how would you like to be remembered?
1: How would I like to be remembered? Um, well, as a contributor, uh, I'd like to be remembered as a contributor, somebody that did something positive that allowed at least a few... Yeah, I'll bet. Let me, let me say this. When I ran uh, uh, the teen event company, we would always be on MSN messenger with these kids as I, as I spoke about. And uh, one night I the conversations weren't, were at a wall. So I started messaging people around, Hey, what's up? You know, are you coming to the party? And I messaged this kid named Jason. And he, it took a few minutes, but he came on and we started chatting and everything. And, and, it wasn't until years later when I went through the political crisis the the scandal he came forward and said the night that um the night that he that I had messaged him and we ended up talking he was headed to the bathroom to have a bath with the toaster no way uh, no yeah, way
0: chills go ahead i know
1: i know so now he has kids he's married he has a farm he's living a great life i would like to do more of that that'd be like, that'd be, that'd be how I'd like to be remembered.
0: Literally chilling. Wow. That's, I mean, there's just so much, so much to that. You, you have no idea what your actions or lack thereof are, are doing, are influencing. Wow. You found out, you found out years later. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a, you know, it was a, Moment, because he came forward and he was trying to get people to hear the story so that he they could get a little bit more insight into me. And uh, he told the story and I just, and somebody told me that he told the story. So I, 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 and I hadn't spoken to him in years. So I contacted him. I reached out. I said, Hey, is this, I'm hearing this story. Is this true? We got together. We had lunch. It was a very tearful lunch. It was very, you know, raw as raw humanity can be.
0: Wow. Yeah. Well, Let's leave it at that, a very um, very uh, beautiful moment. Uh, well, thank you. Jay Hall, really appreciate you. I saw from the very beginning of this dialogue, like I uh, said a few minutes ago, a lot of intrigue with you, uh, a lot of magnificent beauty from you. And uh, I, I'm excited to see uh, and absorb everything that you continue to do. Thank you for sharing that. you and spending the time.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was uh, way more interesting than I thought an entrepreneurial podcast would end up being about you know about me as an entrepreneur, so that's awesome. Yes, great questions.
0: Well, thank you, and that's part of the uh, part of the secret I don't usually let on as we get going, <laughs> but then I slowly but surely try to pull that out. So thank you for going there. Thank you for being part of this. Creating this beautiful space and dialogue together today. And thank you everybody for joining us live, for tuning in to the recording, for supporting us in every way. If you got something out of this, take one small step and put something out into the world. Take a step in the right direction. A piece of action will do just fine for your goals. We're going to do uh, another episode not too far behind until we do.